Serious TV Drama Podcast. I'm Scott, and joining me on this mildly momentous week, first, he's far too athletic to walk like Frankenstein, but after all those X-File binges, he might very well have been probed by aliens. It's Dan. Hey, Dan. Good evening, Scott. I always love when you say good evening. It's very, it's very classy. Good evening. <laughs> Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? Good evening. Second, if she wasn't already spoken for, I'm sure she would take Prince Rainier's proposal anytime. It's Jamie. Hey, Jamie, how you doing? Hey, hey, listen, I know that your mouth was filled with, you know, a lot of booze and nuts, but that came out really well. I'm glad to hear your voice. I'm glad everyone's doing good. Oh, I love when they do the callbacks in the intros. And finally, the guy I hope decides to go into private practice so his name and face can be plastered across billboards and bus stop benches. Brian. Say hello to Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, and I have to say, Jamie, you're a fine girl. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. Do you know how close I came to using (laughs) referencing that instead? (laughs) I thought about it. I thought about it. And then I didn't. Anyway, obviously, we are here tonight to talk about the latest episode of Better Call Saul. Um, I remember last year learning what the word was for the the episode that comes before the penultimate episode. Unfortunately, I forgot to write it down, so I don't remember what that word is. Um, if Kevin Howard's listening, he probably knows. He's the one who told me. Anyway, before we get into the episode, which I think it's titled... Um, Breaking some break breaking bad. Anyway, before we get into this much anticipated episode, I need to amend my previously supposed detective work regarding the Omaha timeline and how much longer it is after the events of Breaking Bad. Um, someone brought to my attention on our Facebook page, I think it might have been Sean Pink again actually, um, that my assumption about the number that appeared on that license plate might have actually been referencing an expiration date, not the actual year. And I said, you know, that's possible. I'm not a driver. I don't actually know these things. So, you know, I'll take your word for it. But then I actually went and looked stuff up. And now I finally know the actual timeline of everything, like 100% guaranteed what it is. So we'll look you say at, that every week, but not, but now no, you're about, you're about went, as good at, as, about as good at the detective as Batman was in that really bad movie that came out this year. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Good job, Scott. <laughs> Wow. You you should just be possessed by God the entire podcast. Or 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 or, or Shecky and you can just make really bad uh catskill style jokes the whole time and, and people can make like you really funny when you know it's kinda like yeah, you're, you're funny if it was night if you're like Buddy Hackett on the Tonight Show in the nineteen seventies or something. Anyway, he doesn't listen to his podcast. I don't gotta worry about that, right? Anyway, so let me let me break it down in a minute and then we can get to the episode. Um, we'll go to Ozymandias. Ozymandias. That took place over two days, March 19th and 20th in 2010. And at the end of that, we know that Walt goes to disappear, and then we know Saul shows up there shortly afterwards. So one can say that Saul goes to Omaha in late March of 2010. Now we go to season f- the season four episode of Better Call Saul, the episode Quite a Ride. 
we actually get that cool little quote-unquote flashback to a scene that takes place just before Saul makes use of the vacuum cleaner repair shop. That's when he and Francesca, they're, you know, shredding the files and finding bundles of money stashed throughout the walls of the office. But at one point, he makes it clear to her that he's going to call her on a certain payphone on November 12th at 3 p.m. Now, I don't know why he picks that specific date. If anybody does, that would be awesome, but I don't know why it's that date. But we know that, therefore, it's almost eight months after he will have left for what turns out to be Omaha, Nebraska. Which means that all the gene scenes that we've seen up until tonight roughly take place in October of 2010 after all. The phone call that he makes to her is on November 12th of 2010. So, I guess my, my one... I was right. There was no snow in Omaha in October of 2010. But I realized, you know what? This isn't Mad Men. Maybe they just decided it wasn't that important. They needed a detail of the ice for what happens with the Carol Burnett character. So they they, they had it be snowy all over. Um, okay, that's it. So we know that it's taking place. Like The, 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 the storyline that we see in this episode, as far as Gene is concerned, is in November of 2010. So it's, you know, shortly, that you know, it's a couple months after the end of Breaking Bad and El Camino and so on. So let's get into it. Uh, the episode, of course, was titled Breaking Bad, and it was directed and written by the terrific Thomas Schnauz. So how excited were we, were some of us at least, because I know one person will act like he wasn't, um, when right off the bat in the opening, we all, we all, anyone who's a remote, remotely a Breaking Bad fan already knows what we're doing in the very beginning. How excited were you guys? I'll go with Brian since no one <laughs> we've ever have an order set for this. I was very excited and I was that my excitement was doubled when they went back to the uh, VCR scratch tape intro. Um, you know, I thought like maybe that was a one off last week and they returned to it this week, which up my excitement. Did you notice when they did that, that little, like the, the, the VCR breaking down kind of thing, they also had that little subliminal shot of the uh, the black and white image of that crossroads that we see in the episode, which they also were using to promote the episode? Okay. Yes. Okay. This Very cool. Figured you did, but you never know. Jamie, would you like to uh, weigh in before we go any further? Um. Yeah, just, you know, God damn it, don't put your seeds and stems in the drain. <laughs> So, and, <laughs> okay. And I, I, I know, Dan, I know Dan, Dan, I know you want to conserve your energy, but I figured you're going to, you, you want to go off on this shortly. Um, we start off with Saul, obviously, in the RV. It's the RV. That alone is exciting because, hey, it's the RV. So I'm thinking Breaking Bad Fanatics or Breaking Bad, Breaking Badics, as I used to call us, like an asshole. <laughs> Um, it was like the very time I start, first time I started making threads on Facebook for people to make comments on shows. And it was like breaking badics, you know, put your comments here, whatever, preceding all the other people who did all that, that kind of stuff. Sorry, Sherry. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we were probably all going bonkers, noting every little detail in the RV, right down to the tape covering up the bullet holes in the door. So that to me, I mean, it, it was probably the least cryptic or questionable cold open that we've ever gotten because oh, yeah. we all knew exactly what it was. 
but on, but at the same time, it was probably one of the most exciting cold opens because, well, we've been kind of waiting for this. And I, like I said, like I said, and I think we all agreed because, you know, I'm not making it with, with just me. I think we all felt that. Um, we were picking up the Saul storyline right around the time of this, of that episode, which is why the, the, the cool thing about having the two episodes titled with each other, the titles of each other's show is so kind of fun, if, if you know what I'm saying. So let's go to the black and white world of Omaha. Oh, well, actually, I'm sorry. It's Albuquerque. It's not Omaha. And what, and what, Jamie, what you were alluding to this, the scene with Francesca, and we realized that she's some sort of like a, a low rent landlord kind of thing. Does anyone, I, I didn't write it down, so I'm bad. Does anyone recall the name of the actress who plays her by any chance? Um, I don't oh, have her a, name in this notebook. It's a Tina Parker. Tina Parker. Oh, see, excellent. There you go. Can we say what, I mean, first of all, I, I've really gotten a kick out of this work this actress has done on both shows all along. I mean, her standoff with Walter White back in the Breaking Bad days is one of those classic moments, I think. She she does such a great job throughout this episode. I mean, she the the, the how she's put up, how she feels put upon, and how she treats Saul slash Jean right up until basically hanging up when he's making his goodbye his his meaningful goodbyes to her. I I really adored it very much. Did any of you recognize the rest stop where the phone call was taking place? Yeah. Oh yeah, you've probably you've probably visited it on your travels when you went down there, did you? No, I didn't go there. Oh. Would you care to share but, what it was? So, so it's not me saying it. Yeah, it's a gas station where uh, Jesse was pushing meth and then got the RV uh, videoed by uh, an ATM, which Hank used to uh, cause some shenanigans. That's. That's it exactly. Uh-huh. Bingo. Uh, and also among the other little details we see before the phone conversation, uh, just to tell us what's going on in the in the world, is we see those uh, that billboard. I think for the DA for the DA that Jimmy and Kim had, have dealt with over the last five seasons. Um, what's his name? William Oakley, the William Oakley Associates. And I kept wondering. Okay, was he inspired by the Saul Goodman stuff, <laughs> you know, to do this? Especially considering the way that Saul Goodman went, was he? In, I found that I found that to be a fascinating little detail to, to throw in there. I, I thought, was, but I thought it was kind of funny. I kind of thought like that when Saul went away, um, he was probably disillusioned by everything that happened, and he saw a big vacuum that he could fill. There were all these clients that. You know, he could swoop in and take Saul's clients and stand to make sure. a lot of money. I think you're absolutely right. But it's also interesting because wasn't he sort of feeling a bit disillusioned or whatever during the series with all the stuff dealing with um, when he realized that Jimmy slash Saul was, was representing like, you know, the, the you know someone from the Mexican yeah. cartel, that whole thing? I think. Yes, they had the scene in the stairwell where he basically said, you've crossed the line by representing the real bad people and not sort of the low level people. Um, and that's it. And he also had, you know, sort of jealousy early in the early in the show when Jimmy was going to get a job at the firm and Kim was working at the firm. And he was like, oh, wow, that's like really a great opportunity. I mean, he was always sort of uh, 
liked Jimmy and thought Jimmy was doing well for himself by going possibly to the firm and maybe going to be in the firm. But then when he did his own stuff, he kind of grudgingly respected him until the Lalo thing. And he thought he crossed mm-hmm. the line with Lalo. Of course, he could have stopped being a prosecutor like at any point in between then and uh, when when Saul goes away. I mean, there's a lot of years there uh, where, you know, so who knows exactly when he stopped doing it. It wasn't necessarily he just stopped being a prosecutor once uh, Saul, like, broke the law. Well, right. We don't expect he was doing this for a while and then just, you know, at a lesser degree than Saul and then just filled the, you know, tried to fill the void. So you think he was in private practice while... Saul Goodman was practicing on Breaking Bad, is what you're saying, like a competitor. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. It's. I it's, mean, it's certainly there's you know it, it, it could go either possible. way. It's he'd, 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 he'd be better positioned to fill that vacuum if he was already doing the job. Right. See, I, I like the idea of him just being you know he's at home, you know what is you know he's you know he's able to make ends meet. It's not like he's poor, but he's certainly not living in a lap of luxury with what he's doing. And he puts a TV on and he sees. You know, the cameras of them loading all the stuff out of Saul Goodman's house, and he sees that golden toilet and everything else. And he says, You know what? That's the life for me. And, like you said, there's that big vacuum, that void to be filled. So, I just like the idea of it. So, anyways, the, the phone call happens between uh, Gene and Francesca. I love the almost ridiculous lengths. <laughs> They go to 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 get to the the, the little parcel of money he has stashed there. Uh, it, it it couldn't just be like buried under a rock. It had to be this whole elaborate thing. Uh, I, I got a huge kick out of that. But I think the real key about the scene is that we get we get to feast on all these little itty bitty details about all the things that have happened, you know, post-Breaking Bad, and what's happened to all the things that Saul had his fingers in. Um, so it's kind of fun to hear about all, all those kind of, all those references. Um, I think you probably would be the only one here that would have a good chance of finding a, you know, a rock that looks like New Jersey or whatever. <laughs> well, if I had to choose between a rock that looks like New Jersey and New Jersey, well, you know... Oh, they, I'm making fun of making jokes like I'm from the 70s, and then I go and make one myself. There you go. Um, I Dan, I actually did think of you for at least a, a brief moment there. God help me. When they were going through the different Ooh. people in, in Saul's life, when one of the first people he asks about is your favorite man that we've been wondering about, uh, Kubi. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that it wasn't a substitute for him being back on the show, but I suspect that maybe it was. Well, I, I, a couple things. Number one, I like to think that as as the show is nearing its conclusion, they're also taking the opportunity, whether it be with a final, whether it be someone who's lucky enough to actually have a final performance or a final scene, I should say, or at least. Or something like a billboard with your face on it, like like the guy playing William Oakley, or just a reference in this conversation. We're kind of saying goodbye to getting a chance to say goodbye to a lot of these people. Now, I I'm actually going to quote um, instead of trying to reframe it, I'm just going to quote what Bob Odenkirk said about this. Um, he actually mentioned the the QB and everything else. Um, I'm I'm going to quote him directly so I don't get this wrong. Uh, unquote. And we touched on Kubi, you know, Bill Burr, who we didn't know. He felt like D-Day at the end of Animal House. He just disappeared without anyone knowing where he went. And then we referenced Ira, 
you know, the actor Frank Ross. I had to look up who Ira was because I did not remember the name Ira. So that's the yeah, guy. Yes, that's the guy who owned Vamanos Pest. Did you know when he said Ira that was the guy who owned Vamanos? Did you actually remember that? Did you remember? Yeah. That? Okay. And Danny is like the guy who like yeah yeah. Well, yeah, because Ira was on Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. Got He's it. the one that like stole the uh, like the 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 uh, like the Hummel thing from that place that felt Jimmy went to that's the fake right. interview. That's right. That's the first time we see him. You're right. You're right. And then he mentioned, we mentioned Danny, who in my head is always the Mark Proch's character, Daniel Wormald, you know, the guy who, he, he had him running his laser tag later on. Um, they, he always imagined he was going to be the, the Danny. We just never figured out a way to work it back into the series. By the way, I wish they had, that would have been amazing if they'd actually done that. Because <laughs> I remember him saying, you know, you don't got a Danny, you know, you need a Danny. And if it turned out to be the guy who most of us now love on uh, what we do in the, what they do in the shadows, that would have been fantastic. But yeah, the point of all this is much like what we saw happening to his house earlier in the season. Um, everything's gone. Everything's been seized. Everything's just you know, from nail salons and, and so on. Um, I did like that we got a reference to Jesse here. So they're, they're referencing basically the end of El Camino because they, you know, they find his car at the border. So, of course, I was wondering, what do they mean the Mexican border? Because that's the closest border. But I kept thinking he would be going yeah. to Alaska. Yeah, no, the, no um, Robert Forrester, like, ditched his car on the Mexican border to, like, uh, like that was part of the deal in El Camino. Oh yeah! Did he have Badger tell tell Badger to drive down to the border and leave the car? Gotcha. See, my memory sucks. That's why I have all these fucks here. So, but the most important thing, I guess, for Better Call people who care more about Better Call Saul than Breaking Bad, which makes sense since you're watching Better Call Saul, is the fact that we find out that Kim called. So. Sure. And the way Gene acts after that. And that's when we get to that that crossroads moment, the decision. I like that. When, it's kind of funny when I think that both Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul have a moment where a character is at a literal crossroads, you know, between Skyler and that famous scene from Breaking Bad. And now we have it with Gene here. Um, he goes to another payphone. And we know he basically places a call to Kim Wexler. And we don't hear the conversation. We see it. <laughs> we see that he's shouting and gesticulating and all that other kind of stuff. We get a De Niro-esque smashing of the phone. <laughs> followed yeah. by, you know, very, like, wow, he, he wa- did he watch Goodfellas last week? Uh, you know, you know, I was <laughs> worried that Kimmy got made. And kicking in the glass. So that's what I want to ask you guys. So I'm going to bounce it around. It, for anyone who actually has a, th- a thought on it, that is. Um, now we're get, now we are going to find out what was said in this conversation in one of these last two episodes. So, would you any of you like to go out on a limb and just speculate what you think that conversation was, or why he would have reacted as strongly as he did, and what ends up following that conversation? Yeah, I honestly, I've gone through about five different options um, and circled around to all of them more than once. I guess, I mean, there's anything from the possibility of um, he wasn't allowed to talk to her, you know, or that she's not there anymore and he doesn't have any follow-up information to be able to find her. Or it could even be that 
she's like moved on and she's with somebody else and happy. I don't know. It could be, there's so many different things that it could be. And with only two episodes left, it's pretty, I mean, the only thing that I would speculate is that there's a pretty good chance we're going to actually hear this real phone conversation in the next episode. Yeah, I haven't gave a lot of thought as to what the conversation is exactly. I guess I was more focused on the fact that she's in Florida, but so maybe she stopped and saw Huell in uh, New Orleans on the way uh, from New Mexico to uh, Florida. <laughs> but um, but I, I I definitely I still think that it'll the next week will just be a Kim only episode and it'll end with this conversation. In which case we'll find out what happened. But I'm really not sure. I guess you know he, he's mo- moved on from that relationship a long time ago so what what would be so angry is uh you know maybe i mean i guess maybe like a money thing because like you know if like saul just found out from uh francesca that his money was gone and like one of his like shell companies was like you know ice station zebra associates maybe she like you know wouldn't let him get money that like she had tied up somehow possibly but i don't know just since they like since she liked the movie yeah I, I got the sense, and I could be wrong. I kind of leaning towards Jamie's idea. I got the sense like either she wouldn't come to the phone and the people wouldn't make her get on the phone, or that they told her, told him, like, no one works here or she's gone or something. And he tried to plead with them to to put her on the phone and got really pissed. And uh, But, you know, the other extreme as possible is, you know, the person I could have just said, yeah, you know, Kim, she, she didn't make it. Yeah, yeah, she just didn't make it. And then, you know, that's the that's the good fella's <laughs> yeah. prompt that causes yeah. Danilo, De Niro to destroy the phone. <laughs> what happened to Tommy? Yeah, yeah, Tommy, you know, Tommy didn't make it. He, he didn't make it. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, interesting. Um, I think my thoughts on it are, it felt like it, the conversation was too long for simply someone not letting her come to the phone. It seemed like it went on a bit longer because so if someone's not going to let her come to the phone, they're not going to stay on the phone with them that long. And it seemed like it went on the way it was cut gave the impression this conversation goes on for at least a few minutes. Um, so I, I think he was, I think he was talking to her. Now it's interesting. The idea of, Oh, you know, time has passed that he wouldn't, have any he wouldn't he's you know over her whatever i don't think it works that way i don't think it works that way for him it's not the way i think it's being presented here um just based on his reaction when he finds out that she called in the first place um that said you can't ignore the money issue because as he found out from francesca all all his little, you know, enterprises where he would have, you know, money here, here, and here are all gone. And suddenly he goes into a thing where he's, you know, it's like he's building up a pot all over again. So that, that could, I, th- I think that's kind of like the, the part that, you know, that starts this and the, whatever is said by Kim, which I'm thinking is just her, exp- I'm just going to be very basic about it is her expressing her, let's just say her profound disappointment with what's happened um, and it triggering him and that kind of lighting the fuse, you know, combined with the fact that all his money is lost. And then, because he, again, he basically spends the rest of the episode, the black and white part of the episode, he goes Saul. He don't go Jimmy. 
that Saul that we're seeing here, and I, 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 I will, I will, I, you know, fight me. <laughs> to anyone who says otherwise on that one. So, it, but anyway, it, we absolutely will find out what the conversation was. I love the idea of we don't get to it till the end of the next episode. And the idea um, that Dan had, uh, as you mentioned, I think you espoused the, uh, the idea last week. In fact, Dan, that we might uh, very well get an all Kim episode, which uh, I would love that. I would be all over that. Um, I, I especially watching how the, the better call Saul, you know, social media, Twitter, idiots, whatever, how they all keep, keep getting angry at all these different episodes for different reasons. They'll probably get mad at that one, too. Huh. Good. <laughs> yeah, right before we recorded tonight, like, I, I since got a screenshot of Alan Seppenwall making the same prediction about next week's episode. So we will see if uh, our podcast uh, figured it out before the uh, yeah, we writer. Want, we want to make oh, sure sorry. we want to make sure that the, the flag was planted beforehand. Yeah, that, that's Dan's prediction. It's a, it's a solid one. It's not my prediction, but I think I, I like his prediction. It's probably, in fact, I like his prediction better than anyone I'm, I'm going to have. Okay, so um, let's dip back into what happens with Gene from this point on. You know, either he goes back to work or he's back at Jeffy's house again. It's interesting. Um, I was talking to someone earlier today who had just who had watched the, the previous ep- episode, hadn't watched this one yet, and they were expressing some. Uh, concerns of how they felt because they had recast the part played by Jeff, which we talked about last week, and we and we've already talked about why they recast it and so on. And one of the the person's issues were, um, I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase, but um, the previous actor who played Jimmy, there was something very much more uh, scary and intimidating about him, and this Jeff doesn't have that quality at all. And I said, you're right, but I think that's the point, because in the my take on it is the way we're seeing Gene now and all this, Gene becomes the intimidating one. Gene's the one who's kind of who's, who's in control of the situation, whereas when we saw the cab driver in the earlier seasons, he was kind of sort of in control of the situation up to a point. So, again, I wish it had been the original actor, but I don't... That part isn't what that that doesn't bother me because of the way they're portray the way the storyline is proceeding at this point. I don't know if you guys agree with that or not. I'm just figured I'd pop it up there. No, I agree, and oh, yeah, I actually really enjoy all of his scenes. So um, this actor's is it, especially since we're shooting all of this, we have all this black and white, right? And he just has that face that is a little bit nostalgic to to uh, old classic TV. And I just, I've really, I've really enjoyed him. Hmm. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's doing a great job and it'd be really lame to like whine about somebody getting recasted because somebody else like, you know, couldn't play the role anymore. It's just like, that's reality. Get over it. Fucking losers. You know, <laughs> unless you, unless you think that way, Brian, then I apologize. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll no, I, I, well, I like well, that. I like the actor because I think the, the softness in this actor's face um, plays better against Saul's character change uh, that, you know, at times he looks bewildered, puzzled, you know, unsure of himself. And I think that other actor, just his general demeanor was more uh, menacing. And this actor sort of seems more every guy than, than a badass. So I think he fits the part well. And I think, 
it's really nice having him too, because in this episode in particular, the interplay with Buddy, like we get a lot more of Buddy <laughs> and Jeff and Buddy as a pair in the way it's cast works a lot better. My buddy, mm-hmm. my buddy. See, unfortunately, it was my boss who said this stuff to me, and kind I was of plays sh- it like the same way to like. Go on, go on, go on. What? No, I thought you did. You okay. finish? Sorry. No, it's okay. No, I was gonna say he kind of plays it the way like Badger and Skinny Pete were played when like Heisenberg's around, but Jesse isn't, and I kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, they're definitely kind of like a, a a more an updated version of Badger and Skinny Pete, just uh, not um, funny <laughs> the way Badger and Skinny Pete were. But um, yeah. the joke I was going to f- drop there was, well, I was actually my boss who said all that, and I was going to share the podcast with him, but now I won't. Um, you can just garble my audio. Uh, or I'll just edit it out like I like I edit you out all the time. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, my I, Look, his... The only issue with the the recasting was well, they didn't have a choice, so it, it's there's not you know it is what it is. It's one of those things. It's just jarring at first, and then when you realize, okay, I know who the character is. For some reason, they got another actor. Then most people found out, you know, they probably googled it or something, and like, oh, okay, they didn't have a choice. Whatever, blame the guys that did the wire. By the way, I've watched. I finally watched a couple episodes of We on the City. It's really good. It's very good. It, Deserve the podcast. Anyway, back to the story of the episode where we realize that Gene has clearly rethought his original stance and it looks like he's a man with a plan now. And then we get into it. Now, and then a lot of the episode that takes place in, you know, in the, in, in old black and white Omaha. And by the way, I now decided if I ever was to go to Nebraska, it must be black and white there because there's that movie called Nebraska, which is black and white. There's the Bruce Springsteen album, the cover of which is black and white. Now this is taking place in Nebraska and it's black and white. There was that other movie with the, the, the famous one with the kill, the serial killer or whatever the fuck it was. You know, not serial killer. Is it in cold blood? Is that in Nebraska? Can't remember. Me? I'm I'm gesturing to whoever I'm, I'm actually gesturing at uh, Brian. I <laughs> Never mind. Anyway, I think in cold blood, I think is in Kansas, but I could be wrong. Yeah, no, you're probably right. I, I thought one of them, although they're neighboring, so I'm I'm you know, yeah we're in the same ballpark. Plus, I was probably thinking of um, well, Badlands is in color; it's not in black and white. Anyway, in cold blood is in black and white, but I can't remember where it takes place. Anyway, uh, I was thinking about the Stark weather. I'm stuff. looking at all that. See. So, well, while you're doing that, let's get into the 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 actual scams that he starts running, and which which of course begin with the karaoke performance of Brandy. Um, I like the fact that I think he's, I believe he's deliberately singing badly, because I know that he can sing better than this. Because we saw him sing with Chuck yeah. in that episode, <laughs> he's actually going out of his way to be a bad karaoke singer. Yeah, yeah, and he, Scott, he, did, were you, were he did well. Yes. Yeah, Dan? Yeah. Uh, were, you, were, you, were you listening to Raleigh when me and Dennis sang that song uh, on the karaoke machine the one year? No. Yes, we did. It was fun. So I enjoyed seeing it on TV. And I actually sang it better because he was doing such a literally bad job. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, question. What, um, refresh my memories since you guys have proven to have... Oh, and Dan, you actually did a the more recent rewatch. You will remember probably better than anybody. When he ran the scam, like the, the early scams with Kim, did he use the name Victor back then? I feel like he did, right? Yes. That was They both picked like... Why? Yeah, he was Victor and she was... Yeah, she was Giselle and he was Victor. Yeah, so. Giselle. 
That's right. Oh man. So we then see how this how how the, this con plays out that he um basically, you know, allows himself to be a chump to some, you know, asshole at a bar who turns out to be an asshole who must have a little bit of money on him. Um I love the contraption that Gene used, that Gene rigs up to drain his drink so he doesn't that <laughs> I, I thought that was kind of genius because in my mind I always think you just take the drink and then without anyone looking you just spill it somewhere. But he does it he finds a much more discreet way to get rid of that. I, I feel like I've seen that in some movie or something. I can't think of where I've seen it before. So we we end up anyway the the we know what the end what the entire con is as far as you know the, you know he 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 has the cab pick him up he gets he gets drugged with the water yada 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 we know the whole thing this is kind of um this to me feels a little bit a little bit worse than just stealing from a shopping mall the, 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 it it proves to me that okay now we're we're getting into like much more amoral activity and it's harder yeah. to kind of like go oh that's okay especially when we get to the 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 fellow who turns out to have cancer uh, but we'll talk about that later cuz it, it it follows that you know that other scene that I want to talk about beforehand um so that that's why i'm saying that this scene this feels more saw like as a result because it's like any 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 kind of remorse about it or any kind of humanity about it. There isn't any at this point. It's the, these are just you know pretty horrible acts. I would say beyond anything Jimmy would have ever done, and more personal, hands on than anything even Saul would do. Saul had people do stuff like this, and his Gene's yeah. involvement in it. And so much so that, you know, he's actually making contact with the people and picking them out and doing the research and dealing with them. I mean, it, he's getting his hands dirty and it's more, I mean, it's all not good, but this just seems like really like low life behavior. Yeah, it's just Jimmy's behavior with Saul's morality. Right. But although it's kind of funny because it doesn't, it in a way, when you think about when they reference like the slipping Jimmy era with him with with Mark and something, I don't know that this seems like something that is would have been that much beyond them. Although I don't know if they would have gone as far as taking the risk of drugging somebody and then essentially, you know, even though even though you've taped the door thing, it still counts as breaking and entering into someone's home and then doing that. That that might be a couple steps. I think they'd be more about pickpocketing and 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 robbing it. You know. You know, getting a guy's wallet off him or something. We're not actually going to this extent. But but we have the knowledge that he did this sort of thing to Howard and how that turned out. Mm-hmm. And he he doesn't give a crap. He's going to drug more people, damn the consequences, which is in a way worse. He didn't foresee what would happen with Howard. But then with right. the terrible way that that turned out, he shows that he didn't care didn't learn and is going even further with it. Multiple people. Right. That's the key. He didn't learn. That's the key. That's one of the key things about his character. And we've, I think we've talked about this before when just in general terms, um, tragic story is always when your main character doesn't learn from his or her mistakes. And he 
is proven. We we already know he doesn't. That's kind of that's kind of been his thing all along. And we see even after everything he's gone through, even after losing everything and then and, and being basically having to live a life as a, you know, cooking, cooking at Cinnabon and whatever, still hasn't learned. Still hasn't learned. Go on. Well, he's never cared much about his own reputation um, in that manner. You know, he has ego and stuff like anyone else, but he's so he was always on on the verge of pulling this crap when he was with Kim. Um, he wasn't really worried about his own reputation, maybe a little bit about hers. Um, and without that, that weight on the other side, it's just, he's add to it. You know, he's definitely not living a life that he wants. So if you don't have anything you care about, I mean, not really, there's just nothing to lose. Hmm. He doesn't, he doesn't yeah, have anything to pull him back. There's no, what if something bad happens and, I just, I think he's at the point now. He just doesn't give a shit. Yeah, yeah, him with, yeah, him without any Chuck and without any Kim and like without like you know his money and like stuff in Albuquerque. It's just like okay, he doesn't have. He just doesn't give a fuck anymore. He'll do whatever. Like for a second, I thought he was like actually like feeling bad about the cancer thing, and then after the fact, you just realize like no, he just wants to make sure his uh, you know, the knockout drugs are going to react properly, not get messed up by the pills. So it's a. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I guess this is the way it is. But after seeing, you know, so much Jimmy it's where, that we actually sympathize with, uh, for the most part, often, uh, it's definitely yeah. uh, taken, taken a turn here. Which is why the episode's called Breaking Bad, because this character is Breaking Bad, so to speak. <laughs> he, he is, yes. But uh, <laughs> what I was going to say that that leads into it is, is what we see is what he learned from Walter White was all the wrong reasons and all the wrong lessons and you know in essence in essence what he's doing is the same thing Walter did Walter had a chance to get away with it and stop and couldn't Gene was yeah. safe and pulled off that heist and got what he wanted and could have got away with it but he he couldn't resist doing something else and it's that classic flaw of like, I did what I wanted, I achieved what I wanted. Now, he didn't get to live the life he wanted to live as Saul, but he made his escape. And yeah, they took everything from him, but he was free. And then he pulled off this heist, but it just wasn't enough. And I think, like Jamie said, something happened on the phone call that like his hope for a future went away, so he doesn't care anymore. He doesn't have hope for yeah. the future, so it's like, I'm just going to get what I can get now. And I, I also think that um, once you get to the end of the episode and you look back to the conversation that he's having with Fran with Francesca and he's talking about um, the maestro buying the farm, um, I think when you first hear it just kind of comes off as like a little bit of just a Saul quip, you know, a sarcastic name, but once you get to the end of the episode, I kind of think that it was a little bit of adoration more than it was a sarcastic quip. Um, as we find out how much of a push he had in that direction and, and kind of what his viewpoint of that person was. Yeah, I kind of get the impression that he still has a fair amount of money, too, just because like he just had enough money to like have Robert Forrester like double the cost to disappear him again like on him so he still has a fair amount of whatever so i don't think he's really doing it for the money go ahead scott 
Um, yeah, I wouldn't obviously I have no idea what his money situation is, but he, he, he certainly has, he certainly has some, but, but probably not, but obviously not the perhaps hundreds of thousands or millions that he would have had otherwise. Um, but yeah, the only thing I would say is while we, it, the impression one might get is that we're kind of heaping things at the feet of Walter White as far as how he is right now, which is nice and whatever. And, and there is some strands of truth to be found there for sure. But one must also point out Chuck was right all the time. Yeah. Chuck said all this from the get go. Yep. Me and Dan, or Dan and I, however, you know, if you want to be more grammatically correct about it, we were Chuck defenders and we, not that we didn't like Jimmy. But at least I would always say it's like, okay, never forget he, you know, he is a very flawed individual and he does, he does really fucked up things. And I know Chuck, I know Chuck came off as having a very dark view of him, but you know what? It's come out to be true. It's been true. Um, especially when we see when he goes into the Saul phase throughout Breaking Bad and what we're seeing in this episode, especially. And particularly when he makes the decision as far as the guy who actually has cancer. So I, I'm just again, obviously, it's all, everything is intertwined. You know, would he be doing all this if if not for Walter White? No, then again, he wouldn't be in Nebraska either, for that matter. Um, but it's almost like this was already prophesized, <laughs> you know, years and years earlier. <laughs> And this and this and this scene here, or you know, not this scene, but the scene where Buddy like just doesn't want to do it anymore because he doesn't feel right, kind of reminded me of when like Jesse was being a real douchebag and like pushing drugs to the people at like the uh, AA, well, you know, whatever the you know, Narcotics Anonymous he was at, and Badger and Skinny Peep are just like, you know, we really don't kind of like doing this, you know. So that kind of reminded me of that. It's a little like that. It's also a little like um, Walt deciding to press on and just work with Todd and not and not bother with Jim uh, with Jesse anymore. It's also a little bit like that too. I think I think there's always the, there's a couple of different moments like that throughout these timelines. So I think they're all kind of they all kind of mirror each other. I think if there's one thing we can note now that we've watched almost this entire series, and of course we've watched all Breaking Bad, some of us, we've watched the whole thing recently, you see there's a lot of mirroring and a lot of parallels that one can draw between them. And since I keep bringing up Breaking Bad, that's good, because we go back to the world of color. Hey, did someone say there was going to be an episode where they're going to go back and forth between the black and white and the color and the... the I don't remember. Oh yeah, someone did. So we go back... And here it is, the thing that many were waiting for. I know not us, because you know we're 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 all above that, but here we meet or re-meet <laughs> Walt and Jesse. And it basically picks up in that Breaking Bad episode, the the eighth one of season two of Breaking Bad, which was titled Better Call Saul, of course. Um this picks up with, with what would have happened after um Saul gets to his feet and he, you know, they each put, you know, the, the money in his pocket. He becomes their quote unquote, their lawyer, uh, picks up with him getting back into the RV with them. And so we are treated to just some classic Walt and Jesse style bickering you know, throughout <laughs> it. Um, I, and I had read somewhere that one of the things that needed to be, uh, I think, uh, Brian Cranston had to be reminded of, uh, might have been by Odenkirk himself. I'm not really clear on that. Um, they probably talked about it on the Better Call Saul Insider podcast, I'm sure. Um, he had to be reminded, like, remember, 
you're not Walt at season five, Walt. You're season two, Walt. Because I think he first started playing it the right. other way. It's like, you know, and kind of changed his tenor. Because when you watch the scene, especially like those of us who've watched them very recently, it's like, oh my God, he's like, he's got season two, Walt, down. Just you know his you know I mean, just his little his reluctance about wanting to give up any details and his annoyance with all that. <laughs> so good. Uh, it, it's just it, it's such a fun scene because you know it's it it's it there, yes there's a bit of obviously there's Breaking Bad nostalgia going on here because it's it's the RV again and it, the fact that the RV can't start is a reminder of the issues that happened with the RV in season two and and all those kind of things and all the little details that you start to spot and and start to remember uh, and the fact that you know what I will give them credit for other than I think if I'm not mistaken other than maybe some uh, use of makeup. I don't believe they did. They bothered to do any digital uh, de aging for them. So I, I know there's been some jokes made online, and you know it, it's all in good fun. About Jesse doesn't look <laughs> quite that quite that young anymore. It's like really a forty something year old guy doesn't look like he's eighteen. <laughs> what are the odds? Um, the weird. The interest- the- Go on. I was gonna say the interesting thing about that is um, that I think. Brian Cranston and Bob Odenkirk both go back to the mannerisms of their characters in a very good way. And Jesse had the mannerisms, but um, Dan and I were on a thread and I think Jamie was on that thread too. Weren't you, Jamie? Just chatting during the episode. And um, um, the uh, interesting thing is Aaron Paul, his voice has gotten deeper. Uh Like he was the only one that he, yeah, he had the mannerisms, but his voice was too low. Yeah, I noticed that. Well, every role that he's had since Pinkman, I mean, he's kind of had to be a little soldering, you know? It's it's just part of every role that he's played since. Uh, and so I think that his his voice, his his comfortable range has just now fallen into this uh, much, much deeper note, and it was hard to kick. Yeah, I, I I noticed the uh, the difference in his voice, and I, I kind of wondered about it myself, but only for a moment because I kept thinking, well, if they had a problem with it, everyone connected to Breaking Bad is right there, you know, right? Schnauz to Odenkirk to Grant, you know, someone would say, "Hey, can you try uh, go up on octave?" So it may, it may, maybe he's just simply not able to, or maybe they decided they didn't care. I don't know. <laughs> Um, same way, like they decided not to like go like the uh, the Irishman and like uh, de-age them all, like De Niro and Pesci and that or something. You know, how, you know, like it's like the, awesome. it, it's like it's like those ridiculous filters that people continue to use on Facebook, and I don't know why they do it because it's so obvious what you're doing, and it, it just makes you look. It doesn't make you look better. It makes you look weird. And most of these people, I see actual photos of them. It's like you look better without it. Stop doing that. It, it's like this weird freaking glowing well, haze. It's, they didn't have to do any real extreme makeup or any CGI because they were wearing hats. Well, yeah. The hats disguised everything. Well, yeah. Although so it, we were good. I'm pretty sure Aaron Paul is okay with his hair and Cranston would have been, <laughs> his head would have been shaved. Well, anyway. see, there was a lot of talk about in, in, in a few interviews when it was announced that he was going to be, that we were going to see him in Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, as you've seen 
where they just had these the statues dedicated to them. He has got one heck of a full set of hair and and beard happening right now. So there was a lot said about how he has not shaved his head and he hasn't cut his hair short. Also, he did say after El Camino, he was never going to wear a ball ca- like the bald cap again. So like he he blatantly refused to do it because it looked so weird. Um, so that was that played a big part in people trying to figuring out like what the timeline is of when we were going to see him. So uh, let's keep a hat on him and uh, cover well, all the bases. That will remain to be seen because he we have not seen the last of Brian Cranston on the series. So no, I, I have heard so, that we are continuing. Yes, yeah, we are. I believe there should be at least one more scene with him and another scene with Jesse, but that goes into something I want to talk about later. If I talk about it now, I'm going to get really angry. So I want to move on. I've got one thing about this this scene. Um, I th- I didn't think about it at the time, but sometime today it just kind of came in. But the fact that Saul, when questioned about Lalo, doesn't say his last name is Salamanca, I think that ends up being somewhat significant because, I mean, if he did, that probably would have changed a fair amount of stuff. You know, after right. their association with Duco, sure. they would have been less likely to get into business with him and then Frank, et cetera. You're right. I love, oh, by the way, I love that they brought that up. I just, I, I love that. I love that something that was essentially a throwaway line, you know, what, yeah. 15, 14, whatever it was years ago, ended up becoming such an integral part of another series. And now we have to, now we get to flip back to a, a, another take on that original episode. And we have to make sure we reference it now. I, I, I got such a huge kick out of that. But then again, one, once the RV didn't start, I was just that was that was when I really started. So I was like, okay, they're even doing the RV not starting stuff. It's just great. The uh, the important thing that I think about the Lalo scene in this is they are making a clear allusion to him being traumatized by Lalo, and that what he said was just his react his immediate fear reaction right right uh right. because the one person even though he's told he's dead he's the boogeyman uh to Saul and you know and he brushes it off because he didn't mean to say it he said it as a fear reaction because he and, and who does he blame yes. you know he blames he really thinks we now know he really threw Nacho under the bus in the event it was uh, Lalo, because they had that conversation in the apartment. Right, 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 right. Um, the 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 only other the other notable thing, moment in the scene because it ties to the later moment with the fellow in the bar is when um, Walt starts having that his cancer cough happening in this episode. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I think in the moment when we're watching, we think that. Maybe we're giving Saul too much credit that he actually knows what it is. It's not till later on when he's talking with Mike that he gets the confirmation of it, which he actually says out loud himself. Um, but that all ties to what we see in, in Omaha later. And we think, oh, look at the connection and whatever. And then we see how that goes. Actually, we're, we're, we're going to get there soon because we're back. Oh, and this is where we get one. There's a few, uh, one of the really nice transitions when they go from, um, the world of color to the world of black and white, where we have the the overhead shot of the open grave, and then in, it, it superimposes over Gene lying in bed. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, for a second, I was like, wait a minute. 
if this was another show, I would say, are you foreshadowing what you're... No, you're not foreshadowing. You wouldn't be doing that. <laughs> Wrong show. Yeah, it was uh, It was very reminiscent of uh, Under the Floorboards, right? Yes. It's in this next sequence. It, for, if we didn't realize already that he had, he had really uh-huh. crossed over to, back to being Saul again, we get it now. From the foot massager and to the fact that this is when we realize he's running, the scam is being run over and over again. And we, we get one hell of a sweet montage. I really loved, you know, the fact that they're having like the, I don't know if I would call it animation exactly, but you know, like all the cards moving around and everything. I really got a, a big kick out of it. It kind of, it kind of went above and beyond, especially since you're, they're doing it in black and white. So, you don't have colors to play with, so they have to come up with other ways for striking visuals that work just as well, I think. Um, and I think the the thing that, and if, if there's any, and, and the last kind of thing that cinched it for me was, oh, and now he's with hookers again. Okay. Yeah, that, 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 that's all. <laughs> that, that, that ain't Jimmy. Now, did, did we think that, um, I think we already mentioned this a bit, so, but since now we're at the scene, we'll talk about it anymore if we want. When, now the belief is when he realizes the guy has cancer, Dan, you were the one talking about it, that's right. And so we think he's just trying to find out whether there will be any sort of, um, it'll interfere with the barbiturates, whether it would, you know, not he wouldn't fall get drug knocked out as a result of it or or maybe it might have a lethal combination because he may be going bad but i don't think he's he's going like murder bad you know is it something along those lines you think yeah yeah just like just like it wouldn't knock him out basically i don't think really saul gives a crap about killing him accidentally right now i just think he's just concerned that like you know one of them's like a uh a uh an upper or something Okay. All right. Oh, did everybody recon- um, did, have you recognize who that actor was? Because I recognize him. So, this guy's name is Kevin Sussman. You've probably seen him in a lot of comedies over the years, um, including The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> okay. All right. There it is. Yeah. I recognized. I didn't bother looking up, though. Yeah. He's one of those actors, I've seen him in so many other things, but the only thing I can immediately call to memory is the one thing that I know a lot of people cringe when they're like, even though it's like, ah, oh, it's not that bad a show, shut up. It's not, not great, but you know. Anyway, we'll, we'll get back to color. And we have Saul with the foot massager, and that's when we get a mic scene. And we get a, we get a nice classic Saul and Mike, you know, of the era, of the Breaking Bad era time. And I really love, you know, it's the, this is where we establish that Mike is basically doing PI work for Saul, as we, as we know from Breaking Bad. And we get the whole conversation about him getting information about Walter White. And that's, makes this a hugely important scene. Yes. Maybe not so much for this show, but for, but for that other show. So what did you? Yeah, get, this is what did you guys say? Pretty big one. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, just 
just watching watching Saul's wheels turn at the end of this was like you know it's it was I'd say chilling to me just like yeah. just watching it just knowing how it's gonna go and like knowing like what kind of role he has in this whole fucking mess like you know a little bit more of a role than we realized at the point it informs some later scenes where like you know Saul is like really trying to like get them to cook again and whatever like that because he's like invested in it because like he kind of like wanted it to happen in the first place because you can just see he's trying to work his ankle and stuff here so it's the, this you know this scene i'd say was probably overlooked by a fair amount of viewers just because they're you know more focused on the jesse and walt stuff but i think this this is probably the big scene of the episode if you really uh give it some thought yeah i think to the mythology of the show this is like a, a big thing and i think i want to mention something i meant to say earlier too something else we found out that we did find out Skylar got her deal and I thought that yes. was cool. Yep, I forgot to mention deal. that, but y- you reminded me when when you were talking about this, it popped in my head. It was a nice little nugget. And I know we had speculated, would she get screwed? We didn't know. And now we know she got her deal. But but this was this was important, I think, for a few reasons. Number one, I think Mike is doing PI work because with Lalo eliminated, Gus's operation is running smooth. And so Mike has the time that he can go do this and earn money sure. on the side. Um, we also know from this that, uh, there are two things I thought were particularly interesting. Mike chides Saul about wanting to work with him because he's an amateur. And then Mike later works for him, you know, like the total Mike hypocrisy. But we see the one thing about Saul is that for all his, for all his faults, he does recognize talent and he sees something in Walt that Mike and other people don't see and the, the short time he's around him and the calculations he makes about him, he sees Walt really has something and he's willing to bet on that. Now, of course it's selfish and goes terrible, but you see, you know, there is something to him that, that he can recognize people that are very talented and he sees that in Walter. Right. Also, and the one, maybe the mistake that Saul makes at this stage, because he doesn't anticipate, because they're such amateurs and so on, he probably also sees it as a way that he can work it, that he can take advantage yep, of yep, the situation. There's an angle. And that, and that he can have, we're gonna, it's all, every show is always about this at some point or another, he can control that situation. And, and, and these, you know, these amateurs that he's, that he's, that he's discovered. Yeah. Of course, as we know, as, yeah. as this storyline goes on, that turns out not to be the case. And, and Mike's warnings were maybe he didn't have the facts down quite correctly but overall mike was mike mike was right overall (laughs) well and can i say that uh mike comparing walter white to a betamax is probably the most mike thing mike's ever said (laughs) dan i uh um yeah you can kind of view the like the way salt and you know walt interact with like you know the amount of percentage he can charge to launder their money you know it's a lot different yep. at this point in the game and then you know eventually you know as as uh heisenberg uh, takes over it's just like you know nope you're getting a crappy lower whatever so <laughs> the the other some of the other things i think are really valuable and important about this scene um obviously the, the biggest thing is just getting the lowdown on walter white and we see as you say the wheels turning in saul and we realize oh it's kind of like we unexpectedly have to give Kim more credit for the creation of Saul Goodman. 
we have to give Saul more credit yep. for what the entire Walter White enterprise yep. goes on to become because of his involvement. The other thing I, one of the things I also want to mention about the scene, I love the fact, I love that they reference it. I love the way he does it. I love the fact that Saul makes a reference to he who shall not be named. I love this. It's so smart because he really doesn't know <laughs> who it is, but it's done in kind of a smart ass way where, you know, someone might not be clear, but we, we all know who he's talking about. And of course, oh yeah, Gus Fring is Voldemort. Okay. I <laughs> <laughs> that, that works for me. And and this scene this scene made me have a question that I haven't considered the last couple episodes that I want to throw out to you guys. Are we done seeing Gus Fring? I think we are. Yeah. I I would I would stand by that, yeah. I have no idea. I agree. I, I believe so because I don't see them returning to that timeline. I'm trying to remember the last I'm trying. See, all that does is make me want to think about the last time we see Gus. Because, like I said, I think every character, if it's their last moment, they'll give they'll give they'll give a little something to you know. And I guess maybe, they did with him. I can't remember. Maybe next week. Uh, maybe next week, Kim will eat at Los Pollos, and uh, <laughs> Gus will deliver her a delicious meal, and that'll be the last we see of him. I can see that. I mean, it would maybe be kind of schmaltzy, but it'd be okay. <laughs> yes, I could. I could see that as well. <laughs> All right, so we, we we leave this scene and we can go back to uh, Omaha and just the fact that he's you know that the Gene he's putting in the Bluetooth. I mean, so he's, he's even got the little soul details like that going on. Um, but he, we realize that something has gone wrong, and he you know gets everyone's ass back to that garage. And th- when we see Marion, the the Carol Burdett character, kind of you know. Being hearing the dog barking, becoming you know she she gets away from her funny cat videos because you know everyone loves funny cat videos. Um, and I and, yeah. and no, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Is she she is she's cast from here on out, isn't she? Carol Burnett is in the we're all the way to f- the final. I don't know if she's in all four ep- if she's in all four episodes or not. I I know she's in a few. I know she's got to be in at least one more. You know before they kill. Oops, sorry. Um, <laughs> But I'm sure she'll be. I think she's going to play a part in, in in something here. So she's definitely going to be in at least one. But in the all Kim episode, she does, there's not really going to be room for her in that one, except until we find out she's actually you know Kim's great aunt, and we just didn't know until now. <laughs> <laughs> Put that on our list of bad theories. But this is the scene where uh, we were talking about before with with Buddy and not wanting to rip off a guy with cancer, and we see oh wow, Jean's really. <laughs> Gene's really just a bad guy right now. Never mind the fact he's a bad guy or not. It's now he does something which forget it, it goes almost beyond not learning your lesson. He makes you can call it bad or an impulsive or a not well thought out decision. That and the fact that they're gonna risk going back to that guy's house when he can wake up at any moment now. And he's going to actually, he, now he really will physically break into the guy's house. Wow. <laughs> it's like, and, and, and why is he doing, why, why is he going to this length? Because his whole point about, oh, that he, he invested the time in doing the research on the guy and whatever. And I was like, 
you know, is there, is, is pride playing a part here? Is, you know, is that, is, you know, hmm, are you the, the person who's such a big influence on you? Are you basically, are you, are you the second coming of Walter White right now? Cause it reminds me of the kind of shit that he would do. I, I, I thought that was, I thought the whole thing just made you think it was, it's almost like what the scam is, all the scams have become addictive behavior for him. And now he's acting like an addict where he has to, he has to follow through with it instead of, you know, either, either you have an issue with the guy having cancer or not. At this point, you shouldn't be going forward with it, right? I mean, it's stupid. Just, just breaking in itself probably makes whatever kind of like, you know, like stealing his identity strategy, like much less valuable. I mean, like, you know, he's just like putting a big red flag out there. So yeah, he's just being a a real dumb fool fool now maybe it has something to do with this conversation this conversation with kim and that'll explain this uh, right. more who knows it, hey, um, can, I don't, can you guys explain one thing quick what was what was buddy doing with the dog uh david got maybe get drunk during the episode and i kind of lost track of what was going on with the dog there so well, the dog was a good, you know, that was a good reason to be out walking in these houses, like to, around these neighborhoods, because oh, then he's just okay. a guy walking the dog. I would that also like to say that I did try to find information about this dog <laughs> because, <laughs> because I loved him. And I cannot find his name, but for uh, the, the purpose of our show, uh, I have written notes about him and referred to him as uh, Dog Paulson. So he is Dog Paulson reincarnate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll listen to the Insider podcast tomorrow morning, and if they uh, if they name the, the dog as well as the actor who plays the dog, I'll make sure to let you know, Jamie. Excellent. Thank you. I, I did want to say, and I wondered this, I'm not sure, that the misdirect of the cancer, that almost was he more compelled to get this guy because Walter yes. White kind of ruined his life. I feel that you are completely on the right track there. That this guy was a proxy for Walter White and, you know, fuck this guy with cancer. He's not. I'm, I'm getting him, too. Like, was this his striking out at Walter at dead Walter White through this cancer guy. Yeah. Um, with all the transition we get of him walking into that transition we get with the doors and him going into the high school. I mean, I think all of that's there for that, that purpose. Right. Um, yeah, I guess so. Essentially, um, the proxy idea. I, I, I like that. I, I think, um, it's also, it's also the fact that his experience dealing with someone with cancer, or whatever, um, and and everything with Walter White kind of hardened his heart, so to speak, to that kind of thing. Sure. So what? Any kind of that's why that that's why that's why the realization when early in that earlier scene at the bar when you realize uh, what, what Dan was talking about before. Um, oh no, he's not concerned about the fact he has cancer. He's you know, he's just concerned about it. Just it might screw up the plan, but he still wants to move forward with it. Oh, that's right. You're a bad guy, Gene Saul. Whatever your name is. <laughs> uh, I love the fact that they're flipped. They also the way they flip back and forth between um, Saul approaching the high school, walking by. Oh, another bug on the wall. Great. Uh, walking by the Aztec, of course. I love that they. I love that they and they made sure to have that there or whatever, and. 
I, I was, I was just, I was going, okay. And I was looking at the time. It's like, oh, they're going to, oh, they're going to cut it off. So we're not going to get to the scene where he actually walks into the, um, the, the classroom. But then again, they're not going to just replay the same scene again. So we're, we're going to keep getting takes that take place before or after. I don't think, I don't at this point think we're going to get anything more in the actual high school because we've seen the, we've already seen the entire scene between those two. So there's no, there'd be no point to it, but that is how I love that, 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 that's the, I guess you can call it a cliffhanger. It's, it's kind of a mild one. It's a cliffhanger that the episode ends on. So how did you guys feel about this episode overall? I mean, not just the fact that, you know, obviously once we heard that these, uh, Cranston and Paul were going to be back on it. There's that, you know, I think we're a little more jaded, so we didn't care quite as much as maybe some people did. But just the fact we're in a lot, people's reactions to these last few episodes, there's, there's, the, there's the people who really loved it. And then there's the people who they liked it, but their concern is that these episodes, we only have a few episodes to go when we're spending time quote unquote on this. And then there's the people who are just, nah, we, we don't really want to talk about those people. Um, I think I know what everyone's <laughs> mindset is on this podcast. I think, uh, for a change where I think we're on pretty much in sync. Um, but I figured I'll just go around the room just to get our take on what these, because the, the thing about whenever a show is going to come to an end, it's always very significant how they choose that, that final one of episodes, whether it be the shield or justified or breaking bad or, or this show. And I'm just curious how you guys are feeling about how it's been going now that we're nearing like what's usually the two big ones, the penultimate and then the, and then the finale. So um, if anyone would like to go first and we can just go around and hear what everyone has to say about it. Sure. I'll go for it. I think the, uh, the thing that's going to be, that sticks out to me is the most notable is that like, while this episode was like, you know, pretty well, I'd say marketed as to, you know, Walden Jesse showing up when push comes to shove at the end of the day that I, I probably won't think of it as the episode is Walt and Jesse showing up. Just like there was enough going on there where it didn't overwhelm the, the story and stuff like that, where it was nice to finally see, and there's only a couple episodes left, but there's just so much going on there. It just stopped feeling like a gimmick. It just, you know, I'm sure it you know appeals to the casual viewers just fine. And it appeals to us uh, people who pay a lot of attention to it just fine. Yes. But I just really, I, I like the fact that it just, you know, it worked well thematically without just like becoming all about that. So good job, guys. And I think we've come to a point, and you guys probably would agree with this, is that um, I think we have we have talked about this many times that Better Call Saul can stand on its own without watching Breaking Bad first. Um, and and sure, there's a few things here or there that a viewer who hasn't seen it is going to miss, and it's not quite as fun. The reveal isn't as exciting. I really feel in the last, especially this episode, like I think about those people and I'm like, how underwhelmed they might be on certain things because they just have no idea, like, why the hell we're all so excited about these little moments, thinking that, like... It's not just, oh, these characters are back. That's not what it is. It's like a huge part of what made the wheels start turning in the other show was just shown to us. And it's been like, it's been hidden behind this curtain all of these years. And we finally got to see it. And it's just something I, I do feel for them at this point. Cause it's like, man, you really missed something special here. Um, I, I, 
I don't know, I'd be curious to to hear what somebody who hasn't watched Breaking Bad, um, what their thoughts were. I've had the same thoughts, Jamie, that especially this season, if you haven't watched Breaking Bad, I, I don't know how if you watch it backwards that it's going to have the impact that it has on all yeah. of us. And, and I, I particularly am amused by, I think, what the conceit of Better Call Saul that we all were impressed by is how is the show going to be compelling when we know how the characters end? And, yeah, you, you know, I think taking that away is a big loss for the people that haven't watched Breaking Bad first. But I will say I love the episode. Um, I, I am one of the people that by the time it was over, I'm concerned in my in the back of my mind like wow we've only got two episodes left like it's almost over but this is a show remember that dispatched lalo and uh, uh nacho especially <laughs> nacho like and we were like holy crap we never saw that coming like that soon and so i i have great faith that they can do what they need to do in two episodes uh so i i and i believe where this ended I mean, there's something that that I think Jamie said this to me that Francesca went through the list of what happened to everybody. Basically, Walt's dead. Skylar got her deal. Jesse got away. Like nobody really is going to pay for this. If Gene gets busted and they figure out who he is, Saul pays for all of it. He's the only one that goes down. Everything. Yep. For everything. He, he gets hit with all of it. Everybody else got away or died. Well, yep. That might say dying might be a bad thing, but okay. Um, but Cranston got to die. Cranston's character, Walter, got to die on his own terms. Right. Yes. yes. Yeah, he's gonna have to. He's gonna have to go out like a schmuck. Well, that. See what I did there? See what I did there, Brian? I brought that back for you. I did. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I've enjoyed the run of episodes. My, the, the issue I would have, it's not an issue, just the point I would make with Better Call Saul as opposed to Breaking Bad or some of the other shows I even mentioned, where a lot of the dramatic tension as far as the stakes and, oh my God, what's going to happen, a good portion of that has already been resolved as far as the timeline that we're following 90-something percent of the time throughout Better Call Saul. Once you once you took care of the Lalo situation and Lalo and Gus and Nacho, and then especially when, and once Kim walks out the door, at that point we're like, oh, okay. And now we're, and that's, and, and thus the show bounces to the Saul Goodman storyline at the beginning of Breaking Bad. And there's nothing really more to go into there other than this uh, cute, this fun reveal, which shows just how significant a part Saul played in what we already discussed. Um, so it's the Gene storyline that becomes the thing that's, you know, pushing forward as far as, wait, what's going to happen? What's, uh, what, what the mystery of, and resolution is, is, is solely tied to that storyline. So now we're left with two episodes to go. It's like, and the question is, you know, do we see Kim again or not? I think we all think, I think we all believe we are going to see her for sure. And we're going to see the other side of that conversation. I don't think any of us think there's going to be some sort of, um, 
happy ending for those two. I, it would, it, it, it would, no. especially after, especially the, what we've seen Gene do over these episodes, whereas we might've, there might've been more compassion felt for the Gene that we were seeing, you know, at the beginnings of seasons one through five, but the what what's happened to Gene now is like, Oh, I'm don't, my, my sympathy is kind of, gone for you now because you've just again you don't learn and you've gone back to doing things in this manner it's hard to defeat and you can't really defend it and then then you think hey where have i seen that before have i seen another show where pretty much most people by the end of it you really didn't have sympathy for a character anymore because of decisions he made and whatever oh yes yeah we have seen that before because that's you know that's what they were doing um hence like dan pointed out so brilliantly that's why the episode's called breaking bad even though he got you know he kind of broke bad quite some time ago (laughs) now Quick, quick thought while you were saying this. Uh, let me get your guys' opinion. When we were talking about that phone conversation, um, I think that one thing that would actually really tip him off into the place of smashing a phone booth is if Kim, if if Kim looked, talked, acted, spoke to him at all, like Chuck. Hmm. Hmm. So if she if he did talk to her and there was some sort of like you're you're going to ruin everything you touch sort of thing um I could see him yeah that he'd smash a phone booth. I, I feel fairly confident. That's a really cool theory. I really like that. That's a good one, team. Yeah, I I think uh, the the ultimate rejection of Kim would be for her to join the ranks of, of yeah. you know, Chuck and other people. And if she truly repented and was sorry and found that he wasn't repentful at all for what he'd done and she talked to him yeah. that way, that, I mean, that's the last rejection. That's his last connection to, to his old life that then, you know, there's nothing. If, if that's gone, there's nothing left in Albuquerque for him. Yep. Or nothing left from Albuquerque, I guess I should say. Right, yeah, and, right, exactly. And, and and if we get an all Kim episode next week, it could be like she is Dexter and Chuck is her uh, her Harry, you know, constantly whispering bad things about Jimmy into her ear. That'd be pretty good. <laughs> right. This 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 is my dark passenger, Chuck. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Um. Any other speculation you want to make about the anything about the the final two episodes before? Uh, oh, I have something to say, but no, I already asked you guys first. So, okay. I mean, Dan's already put it out there—an all Kim episode. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm tapped. What do you got? I don't think there'll be an all Kim episode. I think she'll be the. I think she'll. This is my prediction, and it's not a huge prediction, but. Uh, I think Bill Oakley will end up defending. I think he will be taken back. I think he'll be extradited to New Mexico. And I think all the people that we've seen him in court, he'll be embarrassed and ashamed. And I, I think when he goes to court or whatever, I think one of the last things is that Kim will just show up to be there in court and he'll see her in court. Oh, I thought you were saying like the entire gallery would be all the different people he shamed. So it'll be like the last episode of Seinfeld or something. No. <laughs> 
No, no, but I, I mean, I think, you know, for him to go back to where it all started, to that courthouse, and have everybody, the clerks, be walked in and see the clerks and everybody he dealt with, oh, see yeah. him in shackles. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, that's yeah. sort of your shield ending where there's nothing, there's nothing worse you know, to be completely disgraced in the one thing that, that you made your bones in that you thought you were really talented in and fought to prove you were good enough to do for that to be taken away and him to be shamed and embarrassed by all his colleagues, former colleagues. Plus on the way yeah, from Florida to Albuquerque, ugh. she could stop and pick up Huel on the way so he could be in court too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, we, we really want that heel spinoff, don't we? <laughs> heel school. Sorry. Heel, anyway. um, that episode where like they mailed all the letters from like people that like went to Heel's church or whatever was, was fucking funny. So I just keep thinking of that. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> so for a second there, Brian, I thought you weren't going to do much of a prediction. Then you, then you go with like a really giant one. So <laughs> What the fuck are you talking about? Um, it was good. It was good. I, liked I know. It. He suddenly, you know, he went went from uh, you know, I thought it was going to be like a little, you know, a little, a little aside, and then it became a whole goddamn episode. Um, so I don't have anything as majestic as that, but you know, whatever. Um, I I don't. While I would love the idea of an all cam episode, and uh, <laughs> it'd be great if it actually happened, I don't truly foresee that although i i do feel we're gonna get a, a big block of her they could easily like kick off the beginning of the next episode subverting we're expecting them to get back to him breaking in instead we start with kim after everything and then we eventually find our way back to it you know that's something that they've done before on this on on in both universes if i recall like oh they they make us wait and then they get to it it should be noted that Vince Gilligan wrote and directed the next one, so that should make that to me makes it feel like it's going to be a very notable episode. I'm going to tell you something. Um, I know that Cranston and Paul are still supposed to show up at least one more time each. I'm going to say, uh, I, it's like I don't think this will happen, but I just I, I feel I need to like throw you know, try put one up from half from mid court or something. I'm going to say that the Jesse one is in the black and white storyline and it's not part of this because we know he still exists. And now that you got the actor back, find a way to do it. I respect the writer. Gilligan and Gould are writing these two episodes. If anyone can pull it off, it's going to be those two guys as opposed to just, you know, another scene between them, you know, back in the day because, I don't know if there's that much more we can get out of that. Whereas Jesse showing up in the uh, quote unquote breaking bad future timeline intrigues the fuck out of me. Cause all we know is he, he leaves, but we don't know anything about what happened to him. So that they could, and it's funny because Jamie, I remember, you know, at one point you kept thinking that they would find a way to, ha when we thought the timeline was different for Omaha, that somehow, um, Walt would somehow show up there, and I'm like, I'm, I'm taking the opposite. Like, no, no, I think it's Jesse. Maybe not in Nebraska, but I think somehow though those two things could converge. I, I could see that happening. Do I really think it's going to happen? Probably not. But I just feel, you know, yeah, I have to, Jesse I, would fit yeah, in there. Um, but Walt, 
Let's see. So Walt's death was in September of 2010, correct? Yeah, Walt's dead. Yeah, there's no Walt. So we're like two months past. Yeah, we're like two months past that. The flesh has even already rotted away from his face at that point. So Jesse would be, I mean, would would Jesse safely be in Alaska at this point? We don't know how long it was between him um, making the call, you know, or getting... Like, how long does it take for him to get these people to where they're going? Is there, like, multiple safe houses until you get to a certain spot? We don't know any of that. You can only speculate because of how hot yeah. the person would be, because of how long it took them to take he, it took him to take care of Walter White's situation. Jesse might not be quite on the radar, but he still was, from if I remember the, the news reports and such. But uh, I'm sure within a couple weeks' time, yeah. they, they would be able to reload. Yeah, I don't see why. I, I can't imagine Jesse. I can't. I don't think uh, I don't think Jesse would be involved in this, whatever. Just like he doesn't have any reason to come back and have anything to do with Saul. I mean, the last time he saw Saul, he beat the fuck out of him and stole his car. Yep. So I just don't <laughs> see any reason why he would be safety in Alaska to have anything to do with this mess. So it might be It might be cool if Jesse testified yeah. against Saul. Yeah, yeah. Like, gets a deal. Oh, the thing. Uh, by the way, when, um, Brian, when we when you we went through the trouble of no, of reminding us that uh, we get the information that Skyler uh, didn't get her deal, I think the other thing that's really notable about that is, therefore, we also know that they um, they dug up the bodies. That, that means that Hank and um, Gomi were discovered yeah. and got proper yep. burials and such. That she used that lottery ticket with the information on it that Walt had given her, because that was what yep. he, she was going to trade um, in order to for that deal, if I recall. Yep, so, that's what he gave her and said, "Use this." So, right. so it's good to know that they're you know, but maybe Maria will show up anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> how does purple look in black and white? Gray. <laughs> or DJ Qualls. Come on, DJ Qualls. All right. Anyway, I think it's time to wrap this up. And if there's anything else you gotta say, you can say it after I do this part. If you enjoyed this podcast, guess what? You'll enjoy hanging out on our Facebook page as well. It's a serious TV drama podcast page. Like the page and join the conversation about TV shows like well, like Better Call Saul or or Breaking Bad or pretty much any other TV show you can imagine. Let's see. You're already listening to us, but if you need to find us again, you can find us pretty much wherever podcasts are available. Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, and so on. Better still, and I realized, I think I forgot to say this on the last podcast, and it might be the first time I've ever forgotten to say that. It's really weird. You can find all of our podcasts. We're up number 359. 359 of our podcasts are available at stvdpodcast.podbean.com. You can follow us on Instagram. Our handle there is Serious TV Drama as one word. And of course, we are also on Twitter. Our handle there is at STVD Podcast. That's STVD as in Serious TV Drama. Now, we will, of course, be back next week to cover the penultimate episode of Better Call Saul. I believe, as I mentioned, it's both written and directed by Vince Gilligan. And I believe the title is, I think it's Waterworks. <laughs> um,. Which is funny, because that's, that's also the name of the water park where I nearly died a few, several years ago. But I'm pretty sure that's not, not what they're referring and to in that yeah. title. Dan? And also, remember, if you have Waterworks and the electric company, you'll get times 10 your, uh, the money that you collect when somebody lands on it. So that could be significant. <laughs> I'm just sitting here on Park Avenue, baby. 
So, uh, I want to thank all of you for coming together to talk about Better Call Saul this evening. Um, if any of you have any last thoughts or you just want to say goodbye, I'll let you guys do that now. I'll just say goodnight to you guys and to everybody out there. I got nothing left. Hope you guys have a have a good listen. I just got back and recorded this podcast from seeing Willie Nelson. If you have a chance, go see the man. He's a legend. Yep. Have a good night. <laughs> Thanks for listening, <laughs> listeners. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. Oh, I just finished watching Peaky Blind. It's pretty good. Anyway, good night, everybody. Mm-hmm.